we're going to start here and this morning and kind of tie everything back together a little bit, I hope, and we'll see how that goes. All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for the time we can come and spend in your word and the opportunity we have to study it together. And Lord, I just pray that it would be instructive to our hearts so that your grace and your love might be living out in our lives to your honor and to your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, chapter 6 here, verse number 10, if you will. This is the verse we're going to look at this week and next week. And uh, we've been looking at uh, what a spirit-filled life looks like, and we've run the gamut. And then Paul says here, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And today's Father's Day, and I, you know, this message is really for everybody, but I was thinking about dads and, and, men and, 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 and leadership and so forth, and there literally here is a call to arms. And as we notice, he says, finally, <laughs> he's going to conclude the book, and we're not studying the book of Ephesians and, 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 and everything, but finally, that's the great words of the preacher, finally, and he goes another half hour, you know. <laughs> And that comes out of Philippians 3 over there where he says, finally, and then he goes for another two chapters, you know, finishes 3 and into 4. But that, that's not what Paul's getting at here. Here's literally the last section here of Ephesians, and he's going to begin to talk about the adversary and uh, how he attacks and how he uh, uh, comes in and he's going to begin to work and to do and to come, come at you. But at the same time, Paul says, okay, verse 11 there, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the, the wiles, the tricks, the scheming, how he works. But what are you to do? Put on the whole armor of God. You, ha he, you have been equipped here to handle the attacks and the onslaught. The adversary does not appreciate what God's doing today. He doesn't have any, anything good to say about it. So when we are doing what God's doing, guess what happens? Satan doesn't like it. You know the old song, I don't know, high school in, in uh, uh, Sunday school, if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack and ouch, and you jump off the chair, you know, the little guys. Well, if he, he, you need to understand that. But in the, what I want to do is, is bring chapter 10, verse 10 back into where we've been talking. The wiles, the tricks, the way that Satan... You see, Satan knows that he can't stop what God's doing. But he can influence you. And he has a two-prong attack method where he comes at you. The first prong attack, honestly, is to get you out of the, out of the book. To get you away from God's word. And he does it various ways. Religion, he does it with the new versions out there. And he gets you to thinking. And yesterday in the men's fellowship, we were talking, and the adversary works just one tick off of right. He's not far left. There's the issue, and he's just one tick over. Just enough to cause you to, yeah, but I can help. And Christ says, Grace says, no, you can't. The, you know what the, the offense of the cross is? You can't do anything. That's offensive to man, to humanity. 
Because what do we do? We can do it. Tell me. I can go there. You know, I can do this. And, and God's grace says, no, you can't. I already did it for you. Just one tick off. That's all it takes. So he attacks through, get you after the word, get you away from the word. By the way, to do that, he causes you to be scriptural, but not dispensational. Moves you away from Paul, gets you off of the message and the ministry of Paul. That's the second mode, by the way. Deal with you. The message, the, I'm, I'm sorry, the message gets you off, gets you out of right division, gets you out. And then he attacks the messenger. We don't, we, we don't follow, we can't really follow Paul because do you, do you hear about what he, uh, you, do you know his background? Do you really know what his life was like? Do you really know? And, and then you begin to do what? Doubt that. You're, you're in Ephesians. Look over at 2 Timothy 1. You begin, to, you begin to look at this and go, hmm, you know, that Paul guy is a dirty, rotten rascal. So guess what? We're not going to do that. And Paul warns Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, verse 8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. There's the message. How do we preach Christ? Crucified. We preach Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but may now manifest. Romans 16, 25. That's how we preach Christ. How did Peter preach Christ? Do you remember early Acts? He looks at Israel and he says, you killed him. You with wicked hands crucified the Messiah. But guess what? One day he's going to come back, and when he comes back, he's going to come back in flaming fire taking vengeance. And he will be Lord and Christ. Lord, judge, Christ, Messiah, the anointed one. Boom, he's coming. He, Paul says, you know what? We glory in Calvary. Peter, over and over, looks at Israel and says, that was not a good thing, guys. You're uncircumcised in hearts and ears, Stephen calls it. First attack gets you off the message and, I'm, I'm sorry, nor of me, his prisoner. There's the second attack, leaving Paul, getting away from the messenger. So when you come back to Ephesians 6, verse 10, here's the instructions. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. There's the instructions. There's where we are to focus. Finally, I love this, my brethren, now think about where we've been over the last, I mean, we've spent seven weeks on marriage, and then we spent four, three weeks on family, then we spent three weeks, no, one week on the job, it didn't take much to talk about the job, and then we spent three or four weeks talking about you as an individual coming out of chapter 5, verse 18, that spirit-filled issues there, and he says, so what did we do? Well, look at 518. And be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Have the Spirit fill, grip your heart. Have the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, Colossians 3 says, where the Word comes in and grips, and the love and the grace of God comes and saturates your life. And, and how is that going to look? First as an individual. Then he says, okay, you got that individual. Now two individuals get together. And you get married. And here's what it's going to look like in marriage. And then here's what it looks like children obey your parents and fathers do this and mom and dad, parents do that. And here's what it's going to look like in the family. And here's what it's going to look like on the job out there in the world and your impact into the world. 
And then he says, finally, my brethren. He takes all of this individual, and now he brings it right back to us, together. No matter, out of all that individual, no matter whatever category or role you're in, now in the battle, the call is for everyone to come together. No matter your status, no matter what role you're in and playing and being, the adversary is going to attack you, and he does it equally. And there's two things in verse 10 that I want to spend this week talking about and next week. I was going to do it all together, but we'll do it over two weeks, okay? (laughs) Yeah. Be strong, finally, my brethren. Think about that, my brethren. Look look back in chapter 1, just chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. There they are, the saints and the faithful. That's an interesting thing. There's two groups at at Ephesus. Everybody's a saint, but there are some saints that are faithful. And how you know, by the way, how you do that, look at chapter 4 of Ephesians. And look at verse 17, because what's going on at Ephesus is what goes on at every, in every local assembly, because people are involved. Humans are involved. What's 417 say? This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their under, the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over into lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. Ye have not so learned Christ. What's going on there? Are they saints? Yeah. But guess what they're not doing? They're not faithful in their walk. What are they walking like? The Gentiles walk. Think about that. So when Paul introduces the book, he says, hey, we're saying hello to the saints, but we're, also, we're now going to talk specifically to the faithful over here. Because what's happening at Ephesus happens everywhere, where you get some that are walking how they go, and others are just you know, along for the, for the freebies, if you will. Come back to 6.10. Finally, my brethren, the saints, the call here, let's be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong where? Where is our strength? Where is our capacity to function? How do we, where is our, how to deal with life? It's in the Lord, isn't it? It's in him. He's our identity, and that's, and you know, you live your life out of your identity, out of who you are. That's where you live life. And that life and that identity that we have in Christ comes from who the Father has made us in Christ. I, I've been, years ago, we were, when we met down on baseline, we've been here 10 years, uh, Memorial Day weekend, May, okay? And we were sitting down in the on baseline at McClintock and baseline, in the building there, in the, in the upper room, we were sitting there talking one day, and a couple of the guys had asked some questions, and it made me start thinking. These guys have no idea who they are in Christ. 
And that's become a, a underlining tone if you've been around me very long in my teaching. You need to understand who you are in Christ. And if you study the way I study, and if you think the way I think about it, that takes some time to get through the old thick noggin. It just does. Be strong where? In the Lord. That's our identity. Who the Father has made us in Christ. We need to stand there. And the first call to arms, dads, men, local assembly, ladies, moms, women, is this issue of standing strong. You read the armor pieces there. There's nothing in those pieces for your back end. If you turn your back and run, guess what's going to happen? The little fiery dart's going to get you. The only offensive weapon in the armor is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Everything else is defensive in its tone, but you know what? The adversary doesn't like what God's doing. And if you're living as who you are in Christ, if you're living being a spirit-filled life in the roles that you're in, guess what the devil ain't going to like? He ain't going to like you either. Okay? And he's not, I think about that. We're not on his radar, if you will, but we are on his radar in the course of the world and the system. And the push, if you look at verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. When you're talking to someone about their salvation, or if you're talking to someone about coming to understand the word rightly divided, and they bow their back, and they, they pitch a fit, and they say no, and they get angry with you, your fight isn't with them. Your fight is with who? The spiritual wickedness, verse 12, sorry, is not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness and high places. You see all of those terminologies there, all of those titles, all of that represents governmental structure. And you know what? There's a system that's pushing the course of the world, Ephesians 2 calls it. There's a satanic attack, a satanic system, and I keep saying system because that's what it is, and he's come up and his design is to nail you. So when they reject you, giving them the word, they ultimately are really rejecting the word, okay? Your fight isn't with so-and-so, it's with the guy behind him who says, we're not going to do that. 2 Corinthians 4 he talks there about that the God of this world hath blinded the minds of the lost. And in chapter 3, he explains how he blinded them, and that is the veil that Moses wears in the reading of the Old Testament, and that's a veil, and you can't see in the veil. I was talking to Joe yesterday, and Bev likes the mask now. <laughs> Why? Because it hides, doesn't it? You can't see. And that's what he, you know what he does? He uses religion. Again, one tick off center. And he causes you to just go, and it impacts you. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Now, what's wonderful about Ephesians is in Ephesians, he's already given us detail, instructions about who we are 
in Christ. So when Paul says, hey, be strong in the Lord, we're not sitting there going, okay, Paul, what do you mean? We've already been instructed in that. We've already had the information given to us. Come back to chapter 1. We know. We've already been instructed on the details of who we are in Christ. You know, when you think about the world about us and what's going on currently in our culture, which is nothing new under the sun, by the way, Song of Solomon, not Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes says, Solomon says. But when you think about that, what happens out there in the world? Well, you get to feeling guilty, don't you? You get to feeling trapped. You have a sense of, of frustration, of, of an alienation. You have some anger. You have some hurt. You, have, you are defeated. You're looking for acceptance. You're looking for meaning and for purpose. You want to be a part of something. And you know what happens in Ephesians 1? Paul says, the, the Father through Paul, Godhead through Paul, says, all of your answers, all of your questions are answered in who you are in Christ. And Ephesians 1, he does it. Now, not to study Romans 6, 7, and 8, Paul is making an assumption that you are fully grounded in the identity truths of Romans 6, 7, and 8. So there's not a lot of explanation in some of this, but there's a lot of detail in this as we are instructed to be strong in the Lord. Verse 3, Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who? Who's the who? Who, who? <laughs> the Father. Always remember that as you're reading through here, especially chapter 1. Who's saying this? Who's proclaiming this through the pen of the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration there, through the process there? Who's do the Father is speaking. And he says, I've blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Where? In Christ. So guess what? Be strong in Christ. Be strong in the Lord. Here it is. By the way, all spiritual blessings. Boy, you know what? That is so wonderful. All of this is just so wonderful. We don't have the time to, or the, I don't have the words, honestly, to adequately express the wonderfulnesses of it all. Okay? And I said it that way on purpose to get you to look. Why? All spiritual blessings. And then he says in Colossians 2, you're what? Complete in him. You lack nothing. Second Corinthians, he says, all sufficiency in all grace, in all things. You lack nothing. And you know what? What do we think about? What happens to us? In the world? We're looking at, man, I, I need to get it. I, I feel I want to be accepted. I don't, I'm frustrated. I'm trapped. I have no sense of accomplishment of anything. And you just go, and you just begin to spiral down the hill emotionally. And Paul says, the Spirit says, hey, dummy. He doesn't call you dummy. He says, hey, right over here, this is who you are. Who are you? You're blessed with all of it. You're not lacking anything. And you know what that means? 
That means religion is, again, half a click off. Because what does religion say? You got to do to get. You got to do to get saved. You got to do to stay saved. You got to do to prove you're saved. Again, one click off. That's all it takes. Paul says, no, look at who you are. Look at the answers here in Christ. Life, your life begins right there in verse 3 for you. The moment you trusted Christ, your life really began. Well, no, it didn't. It began back over here on April 6, 1970. No, it began the moment you trusted Christ. Because he takes you out of Adam and he puts you in his son and he blesses you, blesses you, speaks well of you. That's what blessed is. Speaking well of you. He says, hey, you know what? This is who you be, man. What are you doing over there? Wallering in the mire. Pig back to the, you know, to the, to the mud hole. Get over here and get in who you are. Verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Boy, what a thing. He, we're chosen in him. He had this plan set up way before every, he, before he created anything. Oh, yesterday was so wonderful. We're talking about God and creation and freedom and liberty and volition and the ability to make a decision. Freedom takes two choice. Freedom, in order to have freedom, you have to, have, you have to be able to make a choice. So that means you have two, at least two things on the table, A and B. A is life in Christ. B is death in your own self. Moses says to Israel, choose life and choose death. I ask you to, you need to choose life. What did Israel choose? Death. See? God says, before the foundation of the world, this is what we're going to do. Christ is going to die. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We're going to have this. We're going to have this body of Christ, the church, the body of Christ, the heavenly places. We're going to have a nation down here in Israel. And this is what we're going to do. He hasn't said anything about creation yet before the foundation of the world. In Proverbs in the creation sections in Proverbs, wisdom says, I was on the drawing table. He had wisdom. You know why God looks at Adam and says, Adam, you got a choice. You got all these trees to eat, but one don't. You know why? Because he doesn't want robots. He wants what? A creation that willingly serves and worships him. But with freedom comes what? Risk. Because what can Adam do? What did Adam's decision do? By one man sin entered in the world. Adam made a bad decision. He followed the wife. Bad decision. That's a joke. Come on. All right. He made a bad. But but what did God know? God said that's okay. I'm 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 going to allow the risk because I have an answer. And the answer for you and I is the church, the body of Christ today in this present dispensation. That we should be. Notice. Holy and what? Without blame. Before him in love. You know what? Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore being justified, we have peace. With who? With God. That means when things in life happen, he ain't mad at you. Why? I got peace with him. 
What happened? It's common to man. It happened to everybody. Truck broke down. It happens to everybody. Car breaks down. House catches on fire, burns down. Guess what? It happens to everybody. Every, it's commonality to the sin-cursed condition. We're holy. That word holy, set apart for a purpose. Sanctified is the other word for that word. But, we're, but the, to me in that verse, the without blame is a big one. Because what do we usually feel like? We are what? Unworthy. And we feel blame. And we feel, and then that leads us into a depressed mindset. And we get down in the dumps. And you know what Paul says? Get out of the dump. Come on, get up here, back up here on high ground. Verse 5. Having predestinated us. What a beautiful word. Predestinated. That, you know what that means? Your destiny has been predetermined. How do you know that? That's why the word says spells out. Okay. Predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good purpose of his own. Adop predestinated. Boy, what? We are a part of the family. But man, adoption in scriptures, we've been placed in the family as what? Adults. You know what you do with children? You bark orders, tutors and governors. You move them around. You tell them what to do. You know what you do with adults? You say, what do you think? What's on your mind? Back in the Old Testament, Ahab, it's time for Ahab, King Ahab to die. God calls a council in the heavens. And he says, hey, it's time for Ahab to die. What do you think? And he talks to the angelic host. One guy says one thing, another guy says another, and a spirit comes up and says, I think we ought to go down there and put some lying words in the prophet's mouths and get him. And you know what the Lord says? I like that idea. Let's go do that. And then the Lord makes the decree, and it's done. What did he do? He invited creation to participate with him in the details of deciding some things. You know why? Because create, those angelic hosts, you know what they're called? Sons of God. They're adults. He treats them like an adult. And he says, hey, come. And you know what? You were predestinated. Your destination as a member of the body of Christ was to be in the family as an adult. Now, adults have to do what? Learn and grow. You don't know everything. You still learn. This morning, Lay's talk, we're talking about pontoon boat. And you know what? Lay done figured out how I can build the goofy thing by myself for like a couple hundred bucks. You know what happened? Google. I never thought about it. He's like, oh, yeah, Google, do this. And I'm like, what did I do? I learned something. Now, I'll never get anybody on the boat with me if it's self-made, you know, because what happens? Plug pops and it drains. You know, now we're at the bottom. Now we're a submarine <laughs> instead of a boat, <laughs> you know, okay? But see, the thing is, is what does adults do? You learn. It doesn't mean you know everything. It says get in there and study. As a believer, he chose you. He made you a part of something that he's determined to do. He set his love on you. You're important. You belong to him. He, think about that. He knows everything about you, and yet he still loved you. Still loves you, should say. And he accepts you. And he's made you an adult in his family. And he knows every stinking, dirty, rotten thing about you. But you know what he knows? That you're in his what? His son. 
And when God look, the Father looks at you, he doesn't see all that dirty, rotten, you know. He sees who you are in his son. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Oh, that's it right there. It's his grace. It's his doing. Wherein he hath made us accepted. The number one thing in the psychology charts here of late is the issue that people don't feel accepted. Now, COVID put a wrench in that because now you can't do. But you know what's coming out of COVID is a hangover of getting together. Everybody, let's get back together. And you know what's happening? If you don't have this or that, then you're not being accepted. And it's permanent. It's a main drive in humanity's psyche is this issue of being accepted. And I know people. I, I read a report about introverts years ago. But you know what an introvert ultimately wants? Acceptance for who they are. Acceptance. You know what he says? You're accepted in the one who will never let you down. In the one who will never fail you, in the one who died for you, who loved you, and he's called the beloved. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew and Luke, the Lord looks at him and says, You're my beloved. The Father declares him to be. And he says, You're accepted in him. That Colossians 2 10, um, and we are complete in him who is the head of all principal? He's the top guy. Colossians 2, he says, he's, or Colossians 1, he's the preeminent one. He has preeminence. And that's where you're accepted. Because the dude sitting next to you is going to let you down. He's going to fail you. He's going to make every time. That was good. I like that. All right? I'll work that in next time. He's going to do that to you. And what are you going to do? You say, you know what? I love you, even when you let me down, because he loved me, and I've let him down more than you will ever let me down. He's, we are lovable. By the way, that's the number two on the list, is that acceptance and lovables. You know what all that is? Self-esteem. Having a proper viewpoint of who you are. You need the proper viewpoint of who you are in Christ. He's taking care of it. Look over at 2 Corinthians 5. I, 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 there's a, this verse, verse 21, we, we read it, we rejoice in it, but there's something wonderful in it. When he says you're accepted in the beloved, look at verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Now, notice there's a word in that. For he hath, what? Made. Keep reading. Who knew no sin? That we might be, what? Made. Do you know what it is to make something? It's to take something that's naturally this and to put it into an unnatural state. You take eggs and flour and put them together and a little milk and a little cinnamon and you can make what? Pancakes or waffles or... But what did you do? You took their natural condition and you put it all together and you make something that's not natural for those components. What did, the what did God the Father do to God the Son? He's God. Made him a little baby. 
the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He looks over there and says, son, this is what you're going to do. You're going to be incarnate. You're going to be made a, and time was appointed of the father, made of a woman, made under the law. You're going to go and you're going to die. And when you die, then I'm going to resurrect you. So you do what you're going to do and I'll do what I do. And they have the agreement and God, the son's hanging on the tree. And you know what he says? The only time he really says it this way, he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Before that, it was father, forgive them for they know I was it. Father, in your hands, I commend myself. But in the moment when he's made sin, when he's taken, a, he's taken his natural condition, no sin, God, deity, perfect humanity, and he's made into something that's not natural. Sin. Psalms 22, when he says that, he says, I am not a man, I am a worm. And I know that you're a God and you're a holy God and have holy eyes and can't look on me. He understood what was going on. What did he do to you? He made you what? He made you righteous, didn't he? What did he He took you were you his friend? No, you were his enemy. You were in rebellion. And he says, you trust what I did, and I will make you something that naturally is not you. And this will be your new nature, your new DNA, your new man. Not that, I'll come back to Ephesians 1. Do you get the feeling that we got stuff going on in our, we got a good bank account here, spiritually? So I be loved. I have a real acceptance. And you know what? It's settled. I don't get my acceptance from my wife. I don't get my acceptance from my family. I don't get acceptance in my job. That's a big one. Well, it used to be. can't get people to work today, so it must be in the other stuff. But I get my, no, I get my acceptance in who I am in him. And that's settled. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption. Boy, what a word. What a wonderful word. Redemption. To pay the price and then to set it free. When you redeem something. We were in a pawn shop uh, a trading post up in the Four Corners area, and it was a pawn shop, and they had a blanket that I really liked, and, and the guy goes, well, it's this and that, and he goes, but if you would like to redeem it, this is the price. And I said, I would love to redeem that blanket. He goes, well, then this is the price. And I said, that's a little steep. He goes, no, this is the price. <laughs> I go, okay, you're not in the negotiating mode. And you know what I did? I set it free. I paid the price, and I set it free to my house. It sits in my closet. In the wintertime, I use it, and I enjoy it, okay? He redeemed us, but how? Through his blood. I hope you notice or paying attention or catch how many times we go back to Calvary. We don't get too far from, from the cross. We Look over at Romans 6. He redeemed us through his blood. One of the components and one of the activities of that and what Paul is hoping that you remember and understand, again, are those identity truths in Romans 6, 7, and 8. Look at Romans 6, verse 17. We were held captive in sin in Adam, and then we trusted him. He paid that sin penalty. He, he redeemed us from the slave market of sin, as it said. And he comes in, and then he made us free. Look at Romans 6, 17. 
but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but that ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made what? Free. That's who you are. You've been redeemed. He says, listen, this is who you are. You shouldn't be over there with your face in the floor doing the first John 1, 9 chant. You, that's not who you are. This is who you are. Don't be over there in the religious system and the much repetition and trying to fix things when I have already fixed it all. Again, one tick off a sinner. He's redeemed us. Let's be strong in these things. Go back to Ephesians 1. Let's be strong in our identity and who we are. Oh, verse 7. He's redeemed us through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Oh, how wonderful is the doctrine and the truth of forgiveness. What joy it is to know that all has been forgiven. No more hurt, no more guilt, no more worry, no more frustration, no more anger. It's been dealt with. And because it's been dealt with, now you can come along and forgive because you know what it was to be forgiven. Forgiveness is a wonderful doctrine in our walk on a daily basis. But he says, hey, as ye have been forgiven, so do ye. You know what it's to be forgiven. You were at odds with God and not at odds with God because you did something little. Your sin is what hung his son on Calvary. And your sin is what will send you to the lake of fire for eternity. It's not something small. And he says, I paid for that. I set you free from that. Don't be over here. This is who you're forgiven. Boy, live in it. Boy, to know what it is to be forgiven allows you to forgive others. You guys okay? You with me? Some of you are like, all right, is he done yet? No, this is great stuff. Look at verse 8. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all what? Wisdom and prudence. He, he says, here, he gave us, I'm, I'm going to give you my wisdom. Here's the plan. So now I know I have a purpose in my life. I've given you a wisdom. God has a plan here. He's got a purpose. Verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And it's centered in his son. And he says, you are a part of that. So guess what? I don't have to look, wonder, all right, well, you know the kids when they go through college and they're trying to figure out what they want to be? You know what you're, you know what you be. You're a saint of the Most High God and you're a part, an integral, valuable part of His plan and His purpose. You don't have to wonder. It's done. Verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Woo! I like inheritances. I don't get much, but you like them. Woo! My grandfather Jordan, when he was alive, he said, I'll remember you in my will. So when they read his will, he had one line. He says, and I remember all those I said I would remember in my will. 
I was like, that a baby. Now I had the sense of humor in the Jordan side. Okay? Hey, we like inheritance. You've obtained one. Being what? Boy, there's that word again. Predestinated. But how? According to. Boy, don't miss the according to, the according. <laughs> the according to. The purpose of him which worketh all things after the counsel of his own one. That we... Notice the participation. We should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted Christ, trusted in Christ. We participate. We get this inheritance. Actually, over in verse 18, the end of that verse, he says, what the riches of the, of the glory of his inheritance, where? In the saints. You're valuable to the Father. He needs you. He loves you. He, he's like, I got a job and I need you to be here. Boy, what does that do to your psyche as you go through trouble? He needs you. He needs me. I'm needed. I have purpose. I have meaning. Verse 13, In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye, what? Believed. You hear the gospel. You hear about the death, burial, and resurrection. By the way, never leave the resurrection out because what the resurrection says and what it demonstrates is that his death is sufficient because death couldn't hold him. And he says you're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Boy, sealed, secure. That sealing holds, a, holds several meanings in Scripture. It implies security, but it also implies likeness, identity. He placed his seal on you. Now, you can't see it. It's a spiritual seal. He knows you're his. Then he says, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Our future promise, our future guarantee to be there. We have it. And we have it on the word of the Father. So when he comes back to chapter 6 and verse 10, and he says, be strong in the Lord. We're to be strong in these things we just looked at. That's where we're to be strong. Come over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We need to remember where our strength is. 2 Timothy 2. Our strength isn't in our own abilities. Because our own abilities drive us to, to all of the despair and the frustration and the anger and the, the hangry. The, all of that. It's time to go eat. I didn't get a slider in the break, and that's okay, but we're getting there. Thank you. And all day? Okay. I don't need it all day. <laughs> no. 2 Timothy 2, in verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Notice it doesn't say by Christ Jesus. It says what? In him. 6.10, Ephesians 6, verse 10. When you take your stand, 
by faith in who God has made you in Christ, in His grace, in His love, in all that He has accomplished for you by the work of Calvary. That's where you're going to be strong. That's where you're going to be able to withstand, withstand and stand against the adversary. Gentlemen, dads, men, it's dad's day. That's what we're to be about in our families. That's what we're to be like. Let's be here with our families, with the local church. Let's set this example that when things come up, where do we go? We don't go falling apart. We come right here to who we are in Christ and we stand right there. Be strong. I love verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 13. 613. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to what? To stand. Withstand. Boom. That first volley. Withstand. So that I can do what? stand. Our dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the encouragement, for the instructions to be strong in who we are in you. And I think we thank you for that. I thank you for that. I thank you for the folks and their willingness to come and listen and to study, to be reminded and to have it work effectually in them that believe. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. We'll, by the way, we'll do the rest of verse 10 next time, okay?